Good morning. My name is Natasha, and I'll be delivering the second Bible reading, which is from Psalm 10, starting from verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak, who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He is haughty, and your laws are far from him. He sneers at his, all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You're considerate to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness that will not be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. Your nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. This is God's word. Good morning. My name is UV and I'm one of the elders in this church and I've been entrusted with the unenviable task of bringing the word of God from Psalm, the 10th Psalm. I'd like you to keep the Bibles open if you can and follow with me. We are going to work through this Psalm verse by verse. Uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Holy and righteous King, how wonderful it is to be called as your children. We are grateful, Father, eternally for the privilege that you have given us in Christ to be called your beloved children. And as we open your word, we pray that you will illumine our hearts and you will convict our hard-heartedness and will help us to be transformed into the image of Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. As a Christian, have you ever been so completely overwhelmed by wickedness? Wickedness that you see all around you? Corrupt and wicked governments anywhere in the world? It could be unfair and unjust judicial authorities. It could be the unbeliever in your workplace who torments you and make, makes it a living nightmare. It could be someone at your place of study who makes your life miserable. Or it could even be someone in the church who cannot stand you and makes your life a misery. If we are honest with ourselves, we will confess that we have all had times of doubting. Why does this happen to me? You see, this is called a faith crisis. 
a faith crisis is when you are completely overwhelmed by the problems that besiege you. How do you fare during times of faith crisis? Do you question and doubt God? I've had times of faith crisis, many, many times. And those were some of the most intense time of spiritual barrenness. God seemed so far away during those times. Yet, it was during those times that God taught me that I can turn to Him in prayer using the Psalms of Lament. Lament describes a state of being so overwhelmed with sorrow as a response to wickedness. The 10th Psalm is a Psalm of Lament because David, who wrote this Psalm, had a faith crisis as a result of being overwhelmed by wickedness of certain Israelites. David responded to such wickedness by bringing his complaints to God. He placed his hope in God to bring justice. The overarching principle of the 10th Psalm is this. When faced with wickedness, hope in God to bring justice. In the 10th Psalm, verses 1 to 11 helpfully identifies the character of the wicked people, whereas verses 12 to 18 show us the hope that we as Christians have because of our trust in God. Let us look at the first point which describes the wickedness of the godly, the ungodly. Last week, we learned in the ninth Psalm that the threat to Israel was external, posed by the unbelieving Gentile nations surrounding it. The tenth Psalm, on the other hand, refers to wickedness found within Israel, the wicked could have been rich Israelites who caused others to have faith crisis. Look at verse 1. David begins the psalm with two whys. Why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This, at first glance, sounds like the ranting of someone who does not trust God because God seemed distant Yet, it is not that at all. This gives us a picture of a man who is hurting, who was brutally honest with God because he was overwhelmed by the wickedness found within the covenant community of Israel. For us, this is like encountering wickedness within the church, like sexual immorality, financial appropriation, misappropriation, bullying, and toxic leadership causing many a faith crisis. David was upset by what he saw. What did he do? He brought his unhappiness to God in prayer. I really like the raw truthfulness that the Bible brings to us. God is showing us here that it is okay to come to him with faith crisis in all of our brokenness. When we face injustice, like the legislation of abortion. Do we seek God's justice in prayer, or do we just keep quiet? Does wickedness bother you? Does wickedness cause you to undergo faith crisis like David? For many Christians, it's whatever will be, will be. Why do Christians develop such apathy? Because many Christians have been desensitized 
to wicked, wickedness. How does that happen? When the world tempts us to compromise and conform to its standards rather than God's holy and exalted standards, we become desensitized to wickedness. Therefore, it is utterly crucial to eradicate wickedness. How do we do that? We must first identify wickedness. And how? By understanding how the wicked operate. Why, does, is, why is this so important? Because this will help us firstly to examine our own hearts to see if such wickedness is present. In verses 2 to 11, we will identify three broad categories how they operate. Firstly, in verses 2 to 4, we learn that the wicked operate in absolute arrogance. In verses 5 to 7, we discern that they operate with false confidence in their own flesh. And in verses 8 to 11, we discover that they operate under the false notion that God does not see them. God does not care. Let us see verses 2 to 4. We learn here that the person operates arrogantly. The verse 2 says, in his arrogance. The wicked person is arrogant, which means he is so full of himself. He thinks too highly of himself. Such a person has no place for God in his life. What does the wicked man do because of his arrogance? In verse 2 we read, the wicked man hunts down the wicked who are caught in the schemes he devises. Thus, we learn that such people are very dangerous because they target the vulnerable in the congregation and take advantage of them. I've heard report of a single mom whose faith was destroyed because an arrogant church leader took advantage of her. How does God view arrogance? He hates it. We heard that in our first reading today in Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 17. This means arrogance must be avoided at all costs. Why? Let us look at verse 3. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. This shows us that the arrogant person's moral compass is completely upside down. He values the things of this world more than Christ and his kingdom. When you talk to such a person, it becomes quite evident that the priority in his life are comfort, wealth, and health. He may be more interested in his fast car, ostentatious house, and expensive holidays abroad than bringing the gospel to the lost. He lives arrogantly as though he is the God of his own life. In verse 4, we learn another telltale sign of arrogance. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Such a person has no time for God. In other words, his prayer life is non-existent. He behaves just like the atheists. Now, this is understandable behavior if we encounter it outside the church because atheists, as we know, don't pray. What if we find prayerlessness in the church? That would be heartbreaking. 
prayerlessness among Christians is a cancer that has invaded the church. Let us now look at the second way in which the wicked person operates. In verses 5 to 7, we see that they operate with the confidence that they will not be removed. Why do they think that way? Because they are very successful. Look at verse 5. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. We all love being successful. The world says success is the only way in which you can gauge a person's worth. Success breeds confidence. And greater the success, greater the danger of becoming self-centered rather than being God-centered. In the church, success may refer to increase in congregational size, success of ministries, popularity of the pastor or preachers or leaders. What happens when a person focuses on his success rather than on Christ? Invariably, he starts shifting his eyes away from the word of God and doesn't seek God's counsel. In verse 6 we read, Nothing will ever shake me. No one will ever do me harm. Such a person becomes very self-sufficient. He feels that he is the king of his own destiny. We are a congregation in an affluent suburb. Many of us are affluent and some of us are very wealthy. Let us ask ourselves honestly. When we face a faith crisis or undergo crisis of any kind, be it in relationships, financial matters or health, who do we seek first? Do we seek God or do we rely on our own self-sufficiency? As a young Christian, I used to rely on my own cleverness all the time. The result, I was a mess until God taught me that I needed to put him first in my life. The wicked man is not only confident and self-sufficient, but the words of his mouth cannot be trusted. Look at verse 7. His mouth is full of lies and threats, trouble and evil are under his tongue. In Proverbs 6 verse 19, we learn that the Lord hates a lying tongue that brings disharmony and discord in the church. I have seen church leaders lying before a congregation and bringing disunity and discord to the congregation. A wicked person who takes his eyes away from God, neglecting the word of God and his prayer life, opens himself to acts of wickedness driven by arrogance. Eventually, such a person develops a hardened heart. This brings us to the third way such person operates. He thinks that God does not see him. Look at verse 8. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. The wicked person in a careless and uncaring manner destroys the lives of the unsuspecting and vulnerable. He does so in a premeditated manner. He plans for the downfall of the innocent. He plans meticulously to trip and cause the downfall of a fellow man. He is like a ravenous beast prowling to devour his prey. That brings us to verse 9. 
and we read, like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. David likened such a person as a lion waiting not for his prey, but for the helpless. This speaks of an act that goes against the order of nature. Lions attack their prey and not other lions. Lions, in fact, protect those who belong to their own pride. You don't hear of lions or any other beasts of prey devouring another of their own kind. The wicked person is worse. He is like a ravenous beast devouring others. How? Through gossip and slander. Just because the other person is different or does not meet his lofty standards or they're just plain different. Gossip and slander within the church is as dangerous as murder. What happened to the victim of such wickedness? In verse 10 we read, his victims are crushed, they collapse. Make no mistake, careless and uncaring words spoken leave a path of terrible destruction. It creates faith crisis and has the potential to shipwreck many people's faith. This was the kind of wickedness that David most likely saw within the covenant community of Israel that caused his faith crisis, that he was inspired to write this psalm. Such a person operates with confidence that there is no God. Look at verse 11. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Such a person operates under the false assumption that God does not mind such acts of wickedness because he does not care. When such an attitude is left unchecked in the church, it results in church conflicts which causes not just faith crisis but faith abandonment people walk away from the faith. This is the reason why we must look out for each other and hold each other closely accountable. Remember, any one of us is capable of acts of wickedness. I remember many years ago when I was in a different church, I was in the leadership and had one time accomplished something amazing for the church. I was acknowledged publicly for a job well done. Unbeknownst to me, this had gone to my head and I had started displaying shades of arrogance. One day, two older men whom I respected and looked up to sat me down and gave me a proper dressing down for displaying an arrogant attitude. They said that if I persisted in that path, I would cause faith crisis among many people in the congregation. It was one of the most painful moments in my life to be disciplined by others in that way. I was very embarrassed, but I was so deeply thankful to those two brothers for displaying such courageous love done for the honor of the name of Christ and the good of his people. I learned my painful lesson and reformed my ways. Remember, acts of wickedness can trip 
any one of us. So we need to be alert and prayerful. We need to watch each other closely like a hawk. Having seen the character of the wicked person in verses 2 to 11, we will now look at the second point, which explores the hope that the godly have in God to bring justice. Prayer is an intimate gift from God to us, to commune with him at any time, especially when we go through faith crisis. In verse 12, David shows an important truth about his prayer life. His prayer life was filled with hope and confidence because it stood on four important pillars. The first pillar is seen in verse 14, that God sees all things. The second pillar is seen in verse 15, that God will judge all sin. The third pillar is that God is king, seen in verse 16. And finally, in verses 17 to 18, the fourth pillar, which is God will protect and care for his people. Before we study each pillar, let us see closely how David developed his prayer life that was filled with hope and confidence and contrast that with a wicked person. In verse 13, we, 12, we read, Arise, Lord, lift your hand, O God, do not forget the helpless. David knew God intimately and personally. Why do I say that? He addressed God using God's personal name, Yahweh, and the term God, which means Elohim, meaning the all-powerful one. You cannot have a deep and abiding relationship with another person without knowing their name. I could not have had a deep and abiding relationship with my wife if I didn't know not just her name, but the meaning of her name and her character. David knew God personally and intimately, and David knew God's character and attributes. That is why David could confidently say in verse 12, do not forget the helpless. Does God forget to care for the helpless? Of course not. Once again, this speaks to David's childlike confidence with God. I remember the times when my two sons were growing up, and they were just about four or five years old. They used to approach me repeatedly with confidence and ask me to buy a toy of their liking. They knew their boundaries but they kept persistently asking me for the desire of their heart, which amazed me. That is the confidence we have with God in prayer. He is our Father, awesome in power and majesty, yet loving and merciful. Let us contrast this prayer life, prayer pattern of David with the wicked person's prayer life. It is non-existent. Look at verse 13. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? This verse shows how a wicked person operates. He reviles God. What does revile mean? It means to despise. The wicked man does not pray because he despises God. His lifestyle pattern shows how much he despises God. He does as he pleases without any regard for consequences. Do we need to look far? Just look at the society around us and see how they despise God and his holy standards. Let us look at verse 14. But you, God, 
see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Here, David shows us the first pillar for the Christian's prayer life, which is filled with hope and confidence. God sees everything, which means God knows everything. God sees both the outward and destructive circumstances that we are going through and the internal storms of our hearts. David uses the imagery of God as the ever-dependable helper of the most vulnerable and helpless. I know what it means to be vulnerable and helpless, both in my personal and my professional life. And I can say with utmost confidence that God does indeed bring his peace and most importantly, justice in his perfect time. And consequently, I have learned to trust him, especially in times of faith crisis, especially when my suffering makes no sense at all. The second pillar for a Christian's prayer life, which is filled with hope and confidence, is based on the premise that God will judge all sins. Look at verse 15. Break the arm of the wicked man. Such a confident request can be seen as seeking God's justice to render the wicked person powerless. This is like praying for the cessation of violence and brutality of militant Islamists or Hindu fundamentalists against our brothers and sisters in various parts of the world. This once again shows us the confidence we can have with God in prayer. Whether we are persecuted by people outside the church or within the church, we must confidently call out to God for his justice. In verse 15, we read, call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. It is God's prerogative to bring justice in his own perfect time. So what do we have to do? Give prayer our top-notch priority because God will honor every prayer where Christ is preeminent in our minds. God will answer every prayer that seeks his justice and rule to be established. The third pillar for a prayer life filled with hope and confidence is anchored on the premise that God is king found in verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The Lord God is king now and forevermore. This verse reveals two attributes of God that will help us in our faith crisis. God is king and he is eternal, which means he is not like the earthly kings or monarchs whose reign and power are limited. Earthly kings will die just like every other human being. They will let us down just like every other person. God, on the other hand, is not like that. His reign and power are unlimited. This means no one can thwart God's plans. Most importantly, God will protect his people and his purposes will be accomplished. The fourth pillar for a prayer life filled with hope and confidence is the premise that God defends and cares for his own people found in verses 17 to 18. 
If verse 16 gave us a portrayal of God's infinite power and grandeur, verse 17 shows us a close-up of God's tenderness and gentleness with his people. God condescends to hear the prayers of those who are going through faith crisis due to wickedness around them. The word hear in this verse refers to listening with understanding, whereas listen means to incline towards a person to hear them and understand what they are going through and offer them words of encouragement. So this is not just simple listening, but listening with a purpose in order to comfort and to encourage. This is like when I incline close to my wife to hear what she is telling me because she is going through a faith crisis and then to offer her words of comfort and encouragement. As a former Hindu, the image that the Lord God of the universe condescends to hear my cries and encourages me was initially very confronting, but eventually became one of the most comforting truths. No other religion brings this dimension of the creator God's intimacy with his people. God is the greatest encourager there is, but he did much more than that. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this world to suffer on our behalf and to die for our sins. Jesus suffered in his body in every possible and imaginable way. Because of that, in Christ we have salvation and the hope of eternal life. So Jesus truly understands when we have faith crisis as a result of wickedness. More than that, he assures us that his justice will be done. Look at verse 18. He defends the fatherless and the oppressed. We learn that once again, the sovereign Lord God, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, reaches out to help the most vulnerable and marginalized of his people, the fatherless and the oppressed. How does God bring such acts of kindness and mercy to pass? It is through us, the church. God cares for the most vulnerable among us through our hands and our feet. The wonderful work of our Caris team comes to mind. They faithfully care and provide for the weak and vulnerable among us. The fact that God cares for the downtrodden is a testament that God's purposes will be accomplished. Verse 18 finishes with, so that mere mortals will never again strike terror. This is a warning to the wicked both inside and outside the church, that their time is coming to an end and that God will judge everyone and establish his justice forevermore. So what can we do when we undergo faith crisis caused by wickedness? We rally around each other, just like the two brothers who rallied around me we suffer together as one people, as a community of God. We do this by meeting together like today on the Lord's Day for worship and in our growth groups when we together as one body lift our eyes to worship God through the studying of his word. This way, 
we magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. This way, we prevent discouragement by checking on each other, building each other up, sharpening each other, and having accountability partnerships, especially in our growth group. If we don't do this, we run the risk of allowing wickedness to desensitize us. How can we develop a prayer life filled with hope and confidence, especially when we face terrible wickedness? The Psalms are a great place to start and nurture our prayer lives. Use the Psalms to animate and energize your prayer life. Pray with the Bible open and God the Holy Spirit who is our helper will guide us into all truths. Practically, if you take one psalm a day and use that psalm as a template to pray, God the Holy Spirit will guide us into our Father's presence and reveal his purposes to us. God will encourage us in our spirits and he will give us a spirit of endurance to live a God-honoring and Christ-exalting life. So how will you respond the next time you go through a faith crisis caused by wickedness? Will you be found on your knees in earnest prayer, filled with hope and confidence because of the unvarnished truth that God is with you, he is in you, and he will care for you and will bring his justice in his perfect time? Or will you be filled with hopelessness and despair, like the world out there? Charles Spurgeon said in his commentary of the 10th Psalm and wrote, and I quote, The refiner is never far from the furnace when his gold is in the furnace. And the Son of God is always walking in the midst of the flames when his holy children are cast into them. This is the image I would like to leave with you. One of hope and confidence in Jesus Christ who walks with us in every one of our faith crises and he dwells in us to give us the unalterable and unchangeable assurance that he is indeed our hope of glory. Jesus Christ is coming again and will judge all people with equity and justice. So let us not be overwhelmed by wickedness, whether it is outside the church or from within the church. Let us persevere in hope, filled with a heart of thanksgiving to the praise of his glorious grace. Let us pray. Glorious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for giving us the Psalms through which we can understand you with such clarity. Thank you once again for your faithfulness in opening your word and teaching us today. Thank you, oh God, the Holy Spirit, for illuminating our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.